Gentlemen, welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. We are glad that you are with us as we get started. A friendly reminder that nothing we say here is meant to be perceived as the official statement of doctrine or belief of any particular school, church, or calling body. We are not affiliated with any particular school, church, or calling body, and that everything we say here is simply the belief or opinion of the man who states it and nothing more. And another quick note before we get started today, you'll notice in the middle of the episode we had some technical difficulties, um, but don't turn it off because the second half of the episode, actually the audio is even better than the first, um, and we have some great conversations, that's where it really kind of took off. Um, so shout out to Mike for being patient and sticking with it, uh, making sure we had some good conversation, and uh, not bailing on us when we got awfully silly there for a couple of minutes uh, in the middle either. So hope you enjoy this one, we had a lot of fun making it. Let's get started with the show. You are listening to the Gird Up Podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. All right, welcome to the Gird Up Podcast. Uh, This is... The place where young men learn how to be the men that God created them to be. I know it sounds. Stop looking at me like that, Gus. What? what? Uh, in chair number two today, we got Gustav Wentz. What's up, Gus? Uh, you know, nothing much. Just yeah. drinking your coffee. Fresh out of quarantine. Oh, yeah. How was your quarantine? Great. You know, it was everything I dreamed it would be and more. <laughs> um, a lot of people like to think that it's a vacation, and that's exactly what it was. <laughs> no, uh, it was, yeah. Um, I'm just glad to be out. That that's another story for another time, probably. <laughs> if you if you haven't been following Gus on Instagram, you got to make sure you go back and watch his. What are they called? Oh, uh, my windowsill uh, discussions. I think is what windowsill I call them. Windowsill discussions. So we'll make sure we put his Instagram in the <laughs> yeah. in the in the show notes, and then uh, make sure you're following him. Go ahead and I watch mean, Gus. You have such implode. a big yeah. If you have such a big windowsill, what are you supposed to do yeah, besides sit enough. on it and talk to fair enough the Instagram. Fair enough. And on the line today, uh, we've got Mike Westendorf. What's just, what's going on, Mike? Hey, well, it's I think what you guys said. It's kind of warm here for a change, and we're loving it. And it's sunny. And <laughs> yeah. I, I'm going to try to chop down part of my tree later on today. So, ooh, ooh there you go. God willing, it's going to be a good day, or I'll be dead by the end <laughs> of it. So I'm not sure what you way this will go but it's good you know either way it's a good day right either you meet jesus or you feel you feel good at the <laughs> yeah. end of the day yeah. One of the, two. the problem would be is if i fall out of the tree and don't meet jesus then <laughs> life suck. it won't be like you know quarantine it kind of will be but in a way different way so yeah i'd like to try to not fall out of the tree later on well that's one of the benefits of being a big guy you know at 250 pounds if i fall out of a tree there's a pretty good shot i get to meet jesus but <laughs> a guy your size you fall out of a tree man you still got to live through it yeah so I'll just not follow it through today. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, so you're here to talk about uh, Awaken Alive and all the various things that you do. Uh, why don't you just give us a quick uh, elevator talk intro here. Who are you and, and what do you do? Uh, yeah, I've I've been able to lead a, a life that um, has been, you know, like a lot of people when they get a little bit older, they're like, I never would have written a script for my life this way, but it's my story. Uh, I've been a meteorologist uh, professionally for about 25 years, Uh, just stepped out of that into staff ministry full time about a year and a half ago, right before COVID hit. Um, I've been a recording and touring artist in Christian music uh, since about 2003, 2004, and uh, started in in, uh, my time uh, working with University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I was brought in to uh, help develop a program uh, for our meteorology students that would give them access to a paid internship. So a 24-hour day, seven-day-a-week forecast operation, professional risk assessment, major clients, huge credibility boost for our students going through the program. But at the same time, God also uh, saw fit to call me into part-time college ministry as well. So I started in campus ministry at the point of grace at the same time. And so all of a sudden, I got a I got a master's in life walking with college-aged young adults, and uh, the years before that, I was oftentimes involved in in, uh, various youth groups, coaching basketball, um, and uh, and then running youth groups uh, as well in Minnesota and in in, um, uh, 
in Wisconsin. So I'm married. Uh, we've been married for about uh, 24 years. We've got three kids, which uh, they're 22, 20, and 16. So um, everything that I've, I've been living for the last 13, 14 years is now sitting in my house. Um, and um, yeah, I think that's probably, oh, uh, I... <laughs> Because of COVID, uh, my my job uh, in staff ministry, which was uh, helping, continuing to help with con, con, our contemporary worship and and um, kind of finding new ways to shape our traditional worship, and all of a sudden COVID hit, and now I'm really the director of of uh, worship operations and video technology. So I actually uh, do a lot of story, and uh, if if you want to sum me up in one way, the thing I I'm really about is telling the stories of God's faithfulness. It's a Psalm 89 uh, reference. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever with my mouth. I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. And I really believe in that idea of declaring uh, that his love stands firm. And so how does one do that? God's just given me a myriad of different ways and and run me into a lot of different people. And uh, so I'm, I'm blessed beyond measure. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I think the coolest and maybe even most unique part of your story is that it wasn't like you were kind of stumbling around in the dark or came to a moment of like, you know, I'm either going to retire or do ministry or something. Um, it sounds more like you were very successful at what you were doing. Um, and the Lord just kind of holds your hand and guides you into new paths and new things you never would have expected. Is well, that a good observation? Well, we're talking to young guys, right? And so, yes, it is. Um, but it's probably a bit more like a Moses deal. Um, when, <laughs> when I was in eighth grade, um, and this is back. So eighth grade, it means I'm this 1988. And this was the, this was the confirmation, you know, era of you write a paper and you read it or memorize it for all of, you know, the congregation on confirmation Sunday. Right. Oof. You remember that? See, that's how, yeah, that is, Oof, that's that. how you're supposed to do it. Right. That is correct. That's how you're yeah. supposed, none of this, you know, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. And then repeat a little part of the creed. No, this was like you write out all of this thing that you believe, right? So we can, we get to the end of it. And mine is, of course, the longest one. <laughs> oh, no. Not that and kid. So, Great. Yeah, well, a little bit, right? And so we're, I, we're going, people are coming through the line as they traditionally do. And I can't tell you how many people were like, Pastor Westendorf, Pastor Westendorf, <laughs> Pastor Westendorf, Pastor West, you know. And I'm thinking, okay, it's either because my grandfather was a pastor, my uncle's a pastor, or it's because I had the longest, <laughs> longest confirmation speech there. And I remember just having this, you know, uh, a revolt against that. I, I wanted to be a meteorologist since I was a kid. And it's like, no, I want to do this. When I was in high school, I knew I wanted to be a meteorologist. I went to UW-Milwaukee, which is in my backyard. I worked at, started working at television stations. I wanted to be a meteorologist. I will serve God with my life. Uh, but I don't feel called to be a pastor because I felt it would be limiting, to be honest. Mm. And and so God's sense of humor. Yep. I start coaching basketball and I start youth groups and have a, a big heart for uh, youth and, and for young adults. And then God just keeps putting me in these in these positions and all of these experiences and getting to know all of these people and the skills that he's given me. And all of a sudden um, it becomes pretty clear that there's a season, not unlike what we were talking about off air, that. Um, the church needs help equipping the saints. And with 25 years in the secular world, particularly 14 in a university setting, um, there's a lot of ways that I can be used that, quite frankly, you can't go to school for. Um, and so God, in his infinite sen sense of humor, you know, finds me, Moses, you know, out on the pasture and says, you know, I want you to go talk to Pharaoh. So <laughs> that's kind of what, what it feels like in my, yeah. in my life yeah. is, okay, it's just become very clear that you're, you're going to spend some time um, trying to help the church be what it needs to be as we enter this new era. Yeah. Do you ever, so I, I, uh, I like the way you attach your, uh, um, kind of your story to Moses. And I think it's very valuable to do that. I think the reason we oftentimes overlook the value of the old Testament, cause we're like, eh, it doesn't talk about Jesus so much. Um, but the reality is it's there because there are a bunch of sinful men who, uh, the Lord both loved and used anyway. Um, and I think it's incredibly valuable to study those people. And that's why I keep pushing it. Um, but I like mm -hmm. to attach my story to, to Gideon and the idea of mm -hmm. uh, the Lord shows up at, and Gideon's just doing his thing, like doing his work, um, hiding out, being a coward, hiding out from the, uh, who are the Philistines, I think it is. Mm -hmm. And uh, the Lord goes, all right, Gideon, like you're a mighty warrior. Let's go do this. And Gideon's like, who me? 
like, <laughs> no, no, not me. No, we're not doing this. And then the Lord has to give him like, you know, umpteen signs to like convince him that he's uh, the Lord is on his side, you know? Right. Um, and that's the way that's the, that's the one I resonate with a little bit with the Lord's going like, okay, you ready yet? All right. No, well, okay. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then he asked me again in a couple months, like, all right, Charlie, you ready to do this? <laughs> you know, you know, I, I relate to that one too. Um, I'm afraid of success to be honest, because both of these, these characters, right. Both of these stories. And, and again, we're talking to young men, you know, guys, let's be honest about what we're afraid of. One of the things I'm afraid of is what happened at the end of Gideon's life. What I'm afraid of is kind of what happened at the end of mm -hmm. Moses' life, where he says, you freaking idiots. There, there's your water. And God's like, um, did you just step over me? Um, we're going to have a talk. By the way, you're not going into the promised land. And you know, <laughs> Gideon, you know, creates the basically what becomes an idol that people start prostituting themselves to. So it's like, yeah, I just, Lord, can I just... Can I be the hero without having a flaming, crashing end, please? Because <laughs> if you can't yeah. promise me that, then I don't know that I want to have that success. And that, to be honest, is a, is a big fear of, of mine. It's what goes with it, the criticism and the potential to be a real idiot. Yeah. Well, I think both of those guys also had serious cases of imposter syndrome, um, which, again, is, we kind of talked about a little bit off air. Um, and uh, you mentioned it a little bit to just very like very slightly always the possibility that it might be there of you know like not being a minister not a minister not going to be a minister not doing you know like i'll serve god in these other ways did you ever get um any pushback from yourself or even from other people going like who are you to do like you're starting ministries and you're doing you know things that meteorologists generally don't do you know do you ever get any pushback either in yourself or from other people like who are you to do this honestly um no, I, I guess that I push back in the very early years. My mom and dad maybe take Latin just in case. <laughs> so I have two years of as yes, a safety. right. You know, just in case God changes your mind. Um, but God didn't. And I, I have I have always um, and, and this is this is me. I have uh, seen over the years when I tour into different places, culture and sometimes culture you know, um, can really get in the way of the vision. And sometimes culture really supports that vision. And my own feeling is that we ask pastors to do way too much. We expect them to be everything from bookkeeper to secretary to janitor. Oh, and then preach on Sunday and do the counseling and all of these things. And the more I study things like strengths and personality, we're asking people to not be themselves. We're demanding sometimes that our pastors be imposters instead of being real about it. Sometimes, and you, you know, you'll read enough blogs and you'll talk to enough pastors that they'll, they'll admit it. You know, I have a Messiah syndrome. I'm built to be that way to, to want to help everybody. But then I take it too personally. And guess what? You start creating a culture that doesn't enable the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. So I've always in my inner being felt like um, the whole idea of the doctrine of vocation. I didn't know that that's what it was at the time, but that's, that really is something that I think is extremely important because most people who don't know Jesus don't want to talk to a pastor. Uh, and when they do, they, they, they know how to rehearse their lines and fake it long enough to get through it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so where are the, where are the real conversations going to happen? They're going to happen from Christians yeah, who right. are equipped to, to, to be in the world and and be able to be a witness to simply tell the story of God's faithfulness. And so the longer I, I the, the older I get, um, the more I mean, I would love the, the license to go and preach. You know, I'd love the ability. I've got it you know, 25 years in the media, so I know how to speak and I know how to tell a story. And um, I have tremendous mentors, pastoral mentors uh, around me that um, God has just poured into my life. And yet, you know, legally, I'm not supposed to be in a pulpit on a Sunday morning. Right. So I would love to have that opportunity. But if I took that, I would take away an example that needs to be present for dads in particular to be the pastors at home in a way that relates to them into their everyday life. It's part of the reason why I didn't want to go into public ministry is because um, I was hoping that God would show me how to be a, a man and a pastor at home so that um, as I learned and in my relationship with other people, God might use that. 
And so even when I was a high school kid, that idea that I, I know God can use me in other ways in the church, I never felt shame for not pursuing full-time ministry. Well, and see, I think that's, you know, and it's very interesting, and you're exactly right. But uh, interestingly enough, earlier um, this morning, Charlie and I were talking about how it seems like a lot of kids who come out here don't have those examples that you're talking about, you know, examples of people who are able to be good Christians in different fields. Um, It definitely feels like sometimes a lot of, well, not a lot of the young adults here, but there's a good handful of the young adults here who never had an example of a different occupation being done by a Christian. And so they think that the only job for someone who believes in God is one in the ministry, you know? And, and I mean, it's an incredible blessing to have people who do the ministry, but like you said, not everybody's equipped to do those things efficiently. And I mean, you know, it can definitely get blown up and you can end up with those pastors and teachers who feel as though and try to accommodate for everybody and everything in their ministry. At that point, I think that's almost a issue of delegation. They need to learn how to use their congregation to the fullest extent, you know, shepherd their flock correctly so that they can have um, those ways of, uh, what am I, of where they don't have to be the ones in charge of certain aspects all the time, you know, but. uh, Yeah, that's really easy to say. (laughs) Yeah, well, (laughs) yeah. Right. Um, I don't know. I think we just forget the value of, you know, being a, being a light in the world and not necessarily Mm -hmm. being the one with the microphone. Sure. There's a, a concept that, that uh, God kind of put on my heart. It's not new. It's not original. But in, in our season, it, it's new and maybe original to some. But that's the idea of the family church. As, as I, as in, in 2011, I was at a youth conference, um, big conference, you know, lots and lots of people from all over the country. Um, and I saw a couple speakers that are well known in the, in the field. And, and uh, one of them mid mid talk stops and he looks up and he and he says dads pastor your families and i remember that kind of hitting me but making me feel really uncomfortable and the first thing i said was no that's not i think you're wrong that's you you know i have pastors you know the pastors are the pastors i'm the parent you're the pastor i'm the parent and um and then I started, you know, and at this time, I think my, my oldest is may, maybe in sixth grade. And in, in that conference, they had a bookstore and, and I bought um, something that they called the One Minute Bible. And I said, you know, as, as, I, as I struggled with that, took it home and said, I think actually he's right. And I started reading, you know, the passages in, in Timothy differently that when it really comes down to it, um, a child's first experience with what it means to be in the body of Christ is in the family and a, and a child's first um, experience with a shepherd is dad and mom. And Jeremy Maddock, who was a pastor at Garden Homes for a long time, um, mentioned in a conference once that, and I've seen this, you know, said in different ways in other places that children will follow the life pattern lived out by the father, the belief pattern lived out by the father. Uh, to like the, to the tune of 80% of our kids will follow in the example set by the father, uh, which a, again, you know, when you see this from a secular standpoint um, and, and secular scientists can, can point to that. Then you look at what the Bible talks about in terms of a father's responsibility and a husband's responsibility. My goodness, you are the pastor of your family church. And then just taking it a step further, um, you know, when you talk about, uh, evangelism and you talk about outreach ministry and things of that nature, the way that I, I, I like to try to help people understand it is a, a family church pastored by a, a dad and mom, or maybe it's a single family, you know, maybe it's mom, maybe it's dad. Um, this is where worship is going to happen. What's worship? God coming to us as people respond. It doesn't have to have an organ and a guitar and music and stuff, but it can be prayers and God's word. And then getting your eyes out to say, I'm going to be a light to my neighborhood. And so I like to put it this way. If the, if the big C church, the congregation is a hospital to the sin sick in the community, then could my family church be a clinic in my neighborhood? And if parents in particular will, will start to think about and act on this 
real responsibility that the that the the nucleus of the church starts at home because that's where most of your life is going to be we gather together for an hour maybe four or five hours where we get everybody together in a week on a, on a congregational level we gather together and then we scatter out to go and be a clinic in our neighborhoods because think about it this way um if if i cut my if i fall out of my tree today <laughs> I hope that somebody takes me to the hospital and not a clinic. (laughs) I'm going to need some real expertise, some real help. (laughs) Um, But if I've got a cold, if I've got a cough, I'm going to, I'm going to go to the clinic and I'm going to get tested out. Right. I'm not going to make it huge. And so look at how a lot of times people treat church. I come to church when I have an emergency because I need to talk to the surgeons and our pastors are, are very, very well trained uh, to be doctors of the soul, if you will. Um, I am not. But I know enough about a runny nose and, and some of the basic stuff. Could my, my front door, could my neighbors know that if they've got a question, this is a place that they can start? And, and so my bringing it all together, I would love for our pastors, when they're standing in the pulpit and talking to their congregation, to look out and see that they're not alone, that they actually have dozens of fellow pastors with them, junior pastors. Um, who are really going to be doing the hard shepherding work day in and day out so that, quite frankly, the pastors can help them be great at what they do and have enough time to go be the pastor of their own family church. And that's a big issue for pastors across the board. doesn't matter the denomination. They struggle to pastor at home. Give our guys the time to do that. And in order for that to happen, doctrinal vocation, uh, the saints, all of that, I think moms and dads in the pews, whether you're older or younger, that needs to happen. Yeah, that's one of my big things. Um, that's one of the reasons why I do this show is, you know, who shepherds the shepherds, mm-hmm. you know, somebody's got to be there to be the shepherd for the shepherds. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and think about it this way, too. We've got, a, we've got this cool thing called circuit pastors. So, <laughs> so I'm, 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 you know, I'm 47. My, my oldest is 22. So I'm the pastor of my family church. But when as I get older and my kids get married and they have their own families, I'm not the pastor of their uh, of their churches. They are. My kids are. But I can be the circuit pastor. So even in our church body, we actually have this idea of, all right, as I get older, I will be a shepherd who shepherds shepherds, but I'm not going to pastor my son's flock and family. That's something that God gave him to do. So it's kind of cool the way, the way even in our church body, it fits pretty well. Yeah. I really, I really, really like that because it gives, it continues to give purpose throughout life. Then Um, I don't know if you're familiar with John Eldridge at all. Um, A little bit. Yeah. Who wrote wild at heart, but he also wrote a follow-up book that didn't sell nearly as well called sons of the father. And nope. Yeah. I think so. No fathered by God. That's what it was. Fathered by God. And he talks about this idea of every boy goes through or every every male goes through stages. So you go from being, you know, uh, I think it's like a beloved son to a cowboy, to a warrior, to a king, (laughs) to a sage. Right. And the idea of um, it is it it is silly, Uh, but it does like you look at that idea and you say, you know, he's, you know, sitting on mom's lap at some point dad's got to step in and be like all right it's time to go learn how to be a man Um, and then for a while you get to kind of sow your wild oats and you know be a college kid be a high schooler you don't have the responsibility of the world yet um but you're definitely you know growing and maturing and learning and becoming hopefully gaining a little bit of wisdom um and then you become a warrior who's fighting for something right whether it's for your young family whether it's you know your job, whether it is ministry, something like that, and then at some point you earn the right to be a king, where you're sitting on top and you're the one who's guiding, you're the one who's in charge of something, you're the one who's running a business, you know, managing a, a branch, you know, leading a ministry, um, coaching a team, that kind of stuff, um, and then at some point there will be a time where you're no longer even the one doing that. Now you're the sage. Right, who's got all this awesome wisdom to give? Sage advice is that? Yeah, that's oh, okay. exactly what that is. Yeah. <laughs> um. So a sage, he calls it the sage on the stage, right? Like just sitting off to the side, waiting for people to come and say, you know, for the opportunity to share what he's learned over an, you know, a wealth of years. I, that's what I hear when you say that is this idea of as I continue to grow older, my purpose just shifts and changes. Um. But my uh, you know, there, there's no point in my life where there isn't yeah, that purpose absolutely. attached and to the kingdom of God. Um, I think that's really important to recognize the intergenerational nature of the church and 
Um, I, I've just seen it when I tour, you know, the healthiest places uh, have a strong intergenerational component in which uh, the generations are serving together. The generations are doing life. The generations together are making decisions. <clears throat> um, that, that that tends to be the healthiest space. And I know for me that, that the older I get, you know, I, I'm hopeful that I will have a place, but I, that also that as I get older, I need to have the humility um, to uh, to not pontificate. Ooh, talk uh, about big engage. words. And, <laughs> <laughs> you know, when, it, when I'm 80 years old, will I have of telling a 20-year-old, you know, how to do life in that society? I, I will be very disconnected from the experiences I have, but there will be some principles that are worth sharing. Can I be humble enough to talk with them and ask them questions and learn and and that's a really important thing now that I'm you know in my 40s heading toward 50, uh, the ability to ask questions so that the advice I give is not, I just like to hear me talk advice, you know, but that it actually yeah. dives into what their issue really is, or even help them wrestle with what the issue really is, because a lot of times when we're young, um, we don't even know the right the right question to ask, um, and so if I'm the first question that they ask, I start giving them advice. Uh, how helpful am I really? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. So with that in mind, then like we've got all these different stages of life and all these different groups of people we could work with. Why, um, why young people, why that 18 to 25 group? You know, I, I um, a lot of ministry has to start with a need, right? Um, so what's the need that you're addressing here? The need is navigating, um, identity as an adult. Um, I, I think it's very, very important. Uh, this is something that nobody talks about. Um, and uh, you learn about it too late. But that in the in the space of 18 to 25, this really, really identity formation time of your adult life. And there's some things that are actually physically um, happening. You know, within the brain, um, your capacity to take on critical thinking explodes. I like to call it a second infancy. Uh, I don't know if anybody else calls it that. I'm not an expert in brain science or anything, but the books that I've read and the way that I've heard people talk about it, a lot like when, you know, if you've had children or if you've been around babies, you know, they talk about the, the neural network and the way that the brain is developing is like a time never again to be seen in their life, the way that the brain makes connections. There's a second spike and it's that comes in this this 18 to 25 and what what's happening is it's the capacity to think critically <clears throat> and so it's like a light switch in some respects uh, sometimes it's a dimmer switch you're now entering the matrix <laughs> <laughs> what on earth is going on today's gird up podcast is sponsored by the christ for disciples podcast i'm pastor paul steinberg son of ken father of six including five sons each weekday on the christ for disciples podcast I apply God's word to raising the next generation. If you are a parent, teacher, mentor, coach, or all of them, or have any other connection to children, consider taking just 10 minutes, 600 seconds a day, to listen to Christ for Disciples and get direction and gospel power to disciple the youngest generation. Subscribe to the Christ for Disciples podcast by going to ChristForDisciples.com or searching for Christ for Disciples on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and all those other podcast providers. Every weekday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, take just 600 seconds so Christ won't take second in your life or the life of your children. Listen on the way to work or school or while making breakfast. Christ for Disciples podcast, empowering with the one who changes our children. Make it the best 10 minutes of the day. Christ for Disciples podcast. Blessings to you. Oh, you're doing get down with the sickness. Sure. Is that what yeah, it was? I think it was get down okay. with the sickness. Yeah, there we go. There we go. What's the one by uh, a day to remember? It was like, da, 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 da. I think that's a day oh, to remember. No, I, da, 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 well, that's not da, what you were da, just. Da, 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 da. That wasn't the too. sound you were making, though, man. Anyway, it was definitely da, 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 not the sound. So we had a little technical difficulty there. Started out. Seriously, you guys. You guys should find uh, the the uh, Ludwig Gorgson, you know, Mandalorian guy, okay. and look up the Dark Troopers, um, the tr Dark Troopers theme song, okay. and you will hear all of the sounds that just happened from our. <laughs> <laughs> nice, I love it. I love it. And when you hear it, you're gonna start laughing. I promise. You will start like, "Oh my goodness, he's right. It's there." <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wanna. I kind of wanna take your voice from the trip where it got really trippy there for a second and like turn it into a. Like Dude, a we beat. could do a trap like, remix. Make a beat out of it. Yeah, we can do a trap mix dope. right there. 
I love it. You turn this into a thing now. I'm, we could call it like I'm game. Yeah, yeah we we'll go viral for all the wrong reasons. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, or the right reasons. Yeah, I, suppose. I suppose. I suppose. Trap ministry. All the young men will be like, "Hey, they're starting to speak our language." I like it. <laughs> it's true. Fair enough. So the uh, what we were talking about before we we dipped out there, uh, we were talking about I think it was the 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 oh boy said something about guys being slow. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we talk about brain with? development. Bra- yeah, brain development. Yes. That's what ah, it was. There we go. Yeah. yeah. So why why eighteen to twenty five was your question? Mm-hmm. And so now that we have all the rest of the context before the break, <laughs> uh, you guys take commercial breaks, right? That would just be a natural spot. Dude, right that's in the put a sex. beard oil okay, ad right there. Well, I'm just gonna drop Pastor Steinberg right in that gap, and that'll be perfect. Oh, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. See, we meant to. Yeah, do that's that. right. Uh, God intervened. <laughs> computer, thou shalt stop. <laughs> And make Mike sound like a robot. <laughs> uh, anyway, we were talking about yeah, brain development, and and that why eighteen to twenty five, um, because you have uh, so many different things that are happening in this time of life, and what I I think that because we don't really see it this way, um, what we see is a young person who's got some incredible skills and abilities, um, but they they make some incredibly foolish mistakes. Uh, and by the time you're 18, 19, uh, these are mistakes that can stick with you for the rest of your life. Um, and it all keeps coming back to who am I, who am I? And as critical thinking kicks in the way that I like to describe it and visualize it, if, if you can imagine a Rubik's cube, right. And uh, Charlie, you, you were in the educational piece of things. So you know how this works. Uh, the, and I don't know where you were at before, Gus. So if you're insulted, I'm sorry. What? Oh, <laughs> okay. Good. You didn't it's hear okay. that. I'm, I'm good. I, right. Yeah. Sorry. I was distracted. You know, young men. Minds, yeah. I was looking at something else. I, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's great. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> shiny. I got to have something more shiny. Just hit that little button again and make me make the noise. And we'll get more and more back. professional as we Sorry. Go. Charlie's got something written on the wall over here about girlfriend, me. dude. He's okay. like, he's like, have a backup plan. Teaching, Do you want to be my girlfriend? Teaching, it was go a video on. teaching young men how to ask out a girl. How to, how to get middle schoolers to treat girls How right. is ask her to be your date any better than to just ask her to go on a date? I'm looking right, at your list here. Saying, that doesn't don't make ask sense. Be, why are we talking about this right now? <laughs> well, so, okay. The idea was don't ask her, hey, you want to be my girlfriend? Because that's a really heavy question. Okay, right. So you yeah. ask her, would you be my date instead? Uh, and then she's only committing to like an hour with you. She's not committing to spending the rest of her life with you. Okay. She doesn't okay, have to break Char- up with you and not go on another Charlie, date. Charlie, anyway. Charlie, yeah, you just took that well, way too far. Okay. You brought it up. <laughs> Back okay. to Mike. Thank sorry, you. Mike. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was looking at pens. <laughs> what was that? What did the pen say? <laughs> It's something about oh, this is my waking alive pen. That's that's the one it is. Okay. Hey, oh now, see, boom! See, see, back that's in. a great segue. segue. <laughs> oh yeah, High we five. should talk about that. All right, I'll okay. give you the short, sorry. short version. Sorry, sorry, we're short, back in. Okay. Short version. Do you? Do you? Good kisser. <laughs> you remember the movie, right? Uh, no, uh, oh, that's the end of Spaceballs. Oh. Come on. Oh, you see, you are a little yeah, bit older than us. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> every generation and in every age okay. agreed i just it's just if not you want to become a man thou shalt <laughs> oh, watch whoa space balls okay okay that's a strong statement right yeah there. i mean it's maybe when they statement. make the sequel just like with the space jam sequel you know oh i don't think i want to see the sequel actually i don't know i don't want to see mel brooks now so <laughs> oh okay <laughs> didn't want to see him back then either but uh... <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> okay, back, back. Here we go. So here's your restart. So awake right. and alive, the eighteen to twenty-five. It's a lot like, um, you know, a Rubik's cube. You spend um, a lot of our younger years, you know, our grade school years. It's a very linear thinking. It's very if then, if then, if then. That's the way we teach. Um, when you pass first grade, you go to second grade. One plus one equals two. And as you get older, that does become a little bit more sophisticated, but there still is very much this linear way of thinking. And it's almost like the world is built to try to put a Rubik's Cube together for you in which all the colors are on one side. So you got green and you got red and you got blue and you got yellow and you got orange. So everything makes sense. That's what we want. We want everything to make sense. Great. And then all of a sudden you get to about 18, you start thinking about college. um, And it's like, 
as that brain explodes, that second infancy idea, and critical thinking kicks in, it's like taking that Rubik's Cube and completely scrambling it. And if you're anything like me, I can get one side pretty easily, but that's it. I can only get one side done. And by ourselves, we can, we can get one side done. And so when you ask a 20-year-old, how are you doing? They can say, fine, and they can show you the side of them that's all put together. But the reality of it is the other five are a complete mess. And then as a Christian, all of that information is there, but it no longer connects the way that it did when you were trying to pass a class for a grade. You know, the simple, um, that whole Paul's idea of, you know, eventually you got to get off the milk and you got to get onto the meat. Um, you, you've got to be able to mature because as, as, as things go on, your brain is capable of asking hard questions that demand a little bit more depth. Uh, one of you guys mentioned the Old Testament. I've been in the Old Testament for the last three years and just being blown away time and time and time and time again about how relevant everything in the Old Testament is to our lives today and to the gospel story. But I wasn't thinking like that. Um, your capacity to take in this information and make sense of it. Uh, I'm a meteorologist, so I had to go through, you know, differential equations and integrals and complex math. And most of it when I was in high school wouldn't make sense. But eventually I learned how to, okay, I can see ways of thinking that I never thought of before. And the problem, of course, now is that, again, we can put on the face of religion. I can tell you that I, I believe these basics. And, I, and again, they do. You, you might believe those. Or, or when you say, how is your life? And I'll just give you this like rosy picture that I think I want you, that you want to hear about. But the reality of it is, is that for everybody in that 18 to 25 space, and dare I say just about everybody older too, uh, <laughs> um, it's, it's a mess back there. And what we need is we need help to make sense of things again. And, and the easy question is, because it's happening right now across the world, if God's such a good God, why the hell would he allow COVID-19 to kill so many people? And I use that language intentionally because that's the way that people are thinking about it. They're angry. They're frustrated. How can a good Christian God? And you know, those of us who've been around Christianity have heard those questions forever. Um, you're going to ask questions like that that you really now care about but your capacity to think about all the different ways plays also right into satan's hands which can said yeah you don't have a good father yeah he's not looking out for your best interest yeah look how you wanted this to happen and it didn't happen he doesn't know what he's doing does he and now you're lost so the purpose of of ministry to 18 to 25 year olds is not to tell them how to live but is to walk with them through this time frame in a way that I, another way that you might be able to visually think about it is that when you were 18, you were an infant adult. <laughs> You're an yeah. infant adult. Do infants need to have their butts wiped? Yeah. Yes. You know, so and as an 18 year old. <laughs> yeah, right. But you get to 21, 22, you know, you can walk and mine, you know, the three, three year old, right? Mine. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it. And what do you see a lot of times with 20, 21 year olds? I'm going to do it my way. All of a sudden oh, there's this, yeah. I can do all of these things, but they don't have the perspective and, and the experience to be able to not put the penny in the, in the outlet. <laughs> you know? You're going to electrocute uh, yourself and burn the house down. They don't see that. And so they still need guides. Uh, and as you get to be about six or seven, you know, you can get yourself dressed. You can help with make it in. And, and for mentors, we've got to let go and let them. But this is what I just, th this is the dilemma. This is why there's a need to, to really rethink what does young adult ministry look like for men and for women, and then the ability to individualize it based on their personalities and their strengths. And so it's just, there's never like it, there's never a time like it in your life. Um, because by the time you're 30, um, you're a 12 year old adult, you know, mm -hmm. and it doesn't hit you the same way. And so that's why, and, and, that's why it's so important to me, and I just don't think that um, the church historically has ever had much passion to do the hard work of walking with incredibly talented, arrogant, ignorant um, people. Uh, it's a challenge, but they are so wonderful, and if we would be humble enough to ask questions, listen, and be available to them, and develop relationship that is meaningful on an, an emerging adult level— um, I sure hope that we could have more people available 
to help them make sense of the hard questions when Satan throws it their way and their critical thinking goes into overdrive and lets them see God in a way that they've never seen him before. Yeah. Well, and I, I think to go along with what you said, the church still hasn't done a very good job historically of, of dealing with young adults. Um, and I, I use that intentionally too. This, I, they, it's kind of the attitude of dealing with them um, until they can <laughs> yeah. be productive, you know, or, yeah. right. Um, but one of the big frustrations is how do you get them to listen? Like, how do you get through to them? Do you have any wisdom on that end? How do you get a three-year-old to listen? With food. Spankings. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> or with food. <laughs> I don't know, I guess. Uh, I think it very much, it, it requires the same kind of energy. Um, obviously not, <laughs> not spankings and, you know, yeah. hey, geez, get over to your college student <laughs> or I'll beat you. Um, nah. They're not going to come to your small group. <laughs> well, but that's the attitude. A lot of like, think about the little, how brutal little old ladies can be. Like they might actually not actually be taking a wooden spoon to you, but with their words, that's exactly what they're doing is beating you yep. over the head. Can you give us an example of yeah. those kinds of words? Uh, <laughs> I'm not as good as it, at it as little old ladies are. Well, that's, a good point. that's a good point. I would say it this way. Anytime that we as adults um, say this phrase or something like it, why can't you just mm. Ooh. Mm. you have crossed the line you have you have gotten out a wooden spoon um because uh they're not at a stage uh, not and i won't say everybody because um i would say that there is a modifier when something tragic and trauma has happened and if god has helped you work through that there are some 17-year-old and 18-year-old and 20-year-old people that I know that have a spiritual maturity of people far beyond their age. And I think we all know people like that. Um, but when you say, why can't you just, um, you have crossed the line. Um, this is not about them anymore. It is, it is primarily about you um, as the person who's saying it. And unfortunately, as parents, um, in our frustration over maybe having the same conversation, you know, 80,000 times, like we're talking to a brick wall and we finally say, why can't you just, um, it's like Moses, quite frankly, hitting the, the rock and, and not doing it in God's name. Um, so that's one of the cautions I think that I've got, got for people. And it very much is like, seriously, a three-year-old, you know, the terrible twos and the treacherous threes i don't know i mean there's so many different ways to talk about it but in in that three-year-old space a lot of times if especially if you're oldest i can say this just because this was this is me but i've talked with other parents and they kind of feel the same thing you want to protect this child but you can overprotect the child and when it's your first one you know you don't want them to fall out of a tree so you say no and yet a lot of times, um, again, they don't have the experience. They can't see certain things coming. And intellectually, emotionally, um, spiritually, at, at 21, we can't see some of the things that older people see. We also, um, uh, as parents, can't realize the blind spots of our experiences. Like, I, I tried to do what you did once, and it just didn't work out <clears throat> for me. Well, guess what? You are not your kid. God didn't give you the same gifts and natural abilities that he did your kids. Uh, if you do the strengths finders things or the Enneagram, you know, the personality stuff, God didn't give you the same thing. So the outcomes aren't married to what you experienced. And as parents, we can, again, insert that on there and not as concern, but as law. And so it requires a tremendous amount of emotional and mental patience, very similar to the way that when our kids were three years old, that we had to find ways to discipline and redirect and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's hard work. And I think that's the disappointing thing to all of us in leadership positions or adults of uh, uh, parents of adult children is like, crap, I thought this was going to get easier. Yeah. And it just gets mentally more taxing. So <clears throat> in regards to like this, um, I mean, honestly, it's a different way of addressing young people uh how i guess how in our communities would it be best to help our you know those people who are supposed to be the mentors like understand their role better 
you know, because I feel like a goat, like, well, I mean, like mm-hmm. we've kind of been towing around. It's like people who are in those mentor roles just put it from their point of view. They just put it in their shoes. They don't step into the younger people's shoes very easily. And if they try to, it's like they bring in those phrases like, why don't you just do this? Or why don't you just do it like I did, you know, and things of that nature, I guess. How do we mm-hmm. like, or how do you, how does a congregation train the people the mentors, the shepherds to be able to address and help and assist the younger members of the flock more efficiently, I suppose. That's a great question. And in fact, it it seems as though, as I talk to people, it's the million dollar question. There's a professor at the SEM that um, mentioned to me, Mike, if you can figure out how to um, mentor mentors and write the book, you'll have the best seller oh, yeah. because people have tried and it's, it's really challenging. I'll give you, I'll give you a bit of sage advice from Crosby stills Nash. And <laughs> In their, their song, teach your children. Their second verse line is pretty, I think it's actually extremely important. And it says this, and you of tender years can't know the fears that your elders grew by. So please help them with your youth. And then it says, so they seek the truth before they can die, which I don't agree with that part. <laughs> but um, I think that this is critical. This is a this is a critically important idea. You of tender years can't know the fears that your elders grew by. I think it requires humility, uh, at absolute humility on on both sides. And when, and I at running awake and alive conferences, I've seen this happen, and I can tell you that this seems to me. When it can, when you, when it can happen, some beautiful things happen. But when a young person is willing to stand and say, "I am a young adult. I'm an adult, but I am a young adult. And older person, you have value to me, and not for what you can get out of it. But one of the key things is, as a young person, you really can't know the fears. You weren't there when 9/11 happened. I was on the radio in the Twin Cities when the first plane hit the tower. Um, and I was on the air with a friend, uh, Don Clark, from a radio station in Wausau. We were live on the air when the second one hit. And that's when we realized it was an attack. You can't know what that felt like with two little kids in an apartment in Minneapolis where they evacuated the IDS tower and other big buildings, where when I went to Cub Foods that night, the only sound and I, I lived on the southwest side of the Twin Cities. So Flying Cloud Airport, really loud and noisy, Minneapolis Airport, everything is grounded. And I went out and I could hear the the one sound. Uh, it's just this. And it was an F-16 fighter um, circling the Twin Cities, um, making sure that anything that would come off the ground was going to get shot down. Young person, you can't know what that feels mm-hmm. like. And it made me afraid and it shaped the questions I asked God as a 20 something mm-hmm. and for better and for worse, um, it shaped my responses and my worries and my fears and things that I'm working through. So young people, when you see an older person, it's important for you to, as best you can have that, that humility. Likewise, older people, you can't know what it's like to have a phone, the internet, basically a, <laughs> sometimes a demonic voice mm-hmm. sitting in your pocket, mm-hmm. you know, that you can't escape from. You can't know what these things are. You, you, you can't know the um, amount of sexuality that's been thrust at children for years. You can't know what that does to people. You can only have some intellectual thing. So in other words, and you of older years, can't know the fears that this younger generation is growing by and how it's shaping their understanding of God and their understanding of these different things. And so when both sides can find humility and recognize that in the other person's generation, your heart starts to break for the mm-hmm. other one. And, and now it, it starts, kind of, how did God help you get through that? How is God helping you go through that? I don't know. I got to be honest. I don't see God in any of this. Older generation, can you tell me something? And we were at a, a conference, the last Awaken Alive conference we did. I saw this happen time and time and time and time and time again. And there was a, 
I'll have to send you guys a video because I've got a video of it someplace. But uh, one of the, the older guys who were there, he, we had done a, a, a young adult panel and they were just talking about the burdens in the, the perfectionism that they feel that they have to live by. And he was, he's a pastor, a friend of mine, got up and told them, he looked at the panel <laughs> and this, this is emotional for me because this is real. And he looked at them and he said, we are proud of you. You, you don't have to beat yourself up. We are proud of you. And every single person on that panel, their eyes were just glued on him. And talking to a number of the young guys afterwards, they said, I have never heard an adult talk to me like that. Well, good Lord. Don't you think we should start now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. so, so that's, that's one idea. I, I, I don't know if that helps, but I hope that that's, that gets us thinking about what's the attitude and the demeanor that we have to take so that the best mentoring can happen. It requires humility. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, um, like we kind of alluded to this, but we haven't explicitly said it. What's the, why are we doing this ministry? Like what's the end game? for these why we try why is it so important to reach these young people um because they don't know who they are and and the lies of satan are are as strong as they ever have been um they're incessant they're nonstop. i work with a number of people who have gone through eating disorders and when you hear um them talk about the way they see themselves in the way they um, they believe themselves. It, um, it, it's, it absolutely breaks my heart, but it's just of hell itself. And again, this is 18 to 25. So you've got these lies that are very believable. Um, and it's, it, we're in a very visual society. Um, and they can't escape it. The only, the only respite really is the arms of Christ. The only respite is God's word. And yet, You've got this brain that won't shut up and won't stop talking and, you know, is constantly asking questions. The end game is to be available um, in relationship, uh, especially one-on-one type relationships. Um, my, my goal and my prayer for our young adults is what we would call five to one. This wasn't my idea. I forget whose ministry it was, but it made a lot of sense. Five to one to five. Who are the five people in your life who can help you stay, stand firm when the day of evil comes? And that's an Ephesians 6 reference. And the word picker that Paul is using is a wave crashing over you. In other words, you cannot stand against it. So who are the five people who are going to help you stand um, firm? And then conversely, who are the five people that you're standing with? I found that if you only have five to one and you're not standing with anybody, um, it doesn't root what those mentors are helping you with. But if you're also praying with somebody else, listening to somebody else, um, being a friend to somebody else who's also going through hard times, when it's five to one to five, that's the, I think that that's where some real beautiful things and where some real God connections start to come over. It's where the gospel starts to make more sense. And so Awaken Alive, Campus Ministry, my goal is that we could, we could offer to be just one of those five. And I would prefer that, you know, you have a couple that are family, but that you have a couple people in your local church and, and, and one or so that's, that's something like an Awaken Alive thing uh, or a campus ministry so that you're connected to the body of Christ, but you're also connected to the mission of the church. And um, that's what I want to see, you know, Awaken Alive do for the college kids. And the other thing, um, and I have to be careful of this because when you split audiences, you can get in trouble. But the other thing is to wake up my generation and help them be, be the mentors that young adults need, not the know-it-alls that they don't need. So yeah. I have a quick question for you then. So something that I've began to notice, well, since I'm kind of... I'm definitely in that infant stage that you're talking about being 21. I'm hanging around with a lot of these young men who are freshmen and I'm, I'm noticing some things uh, like, how do you address situations where 
I mean, I guess this is kind of a two-part question where the young men or young women, young adults in general, um, like are aware of the advice that they need in the sense like they they think they know what they need to be told and so they seek that and if when that's not what they're getting they they kind of like it inflates them because they like the knowledge of their issue kind of seems to be uh <laughs> like it like they think that they have like they're Oh my goodness! What am I trying? I'm they trying think to they have the answer. They think so that, they yeah, there you go. seek out that answer. Yeah, they think they have the answer, so they deliberately only seek for the answer that they have in their mind. But then that same thing can go the other yeah. way, where they might not be wrong either. Like I think sometimes it's born of ignorance, and then other times it's mm-hmm. born of like honesty and self awareness. Like how do you discern and address those kinds of issues? I guess. A lot of long talks over <laughs> there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you know, it in in uh, twenty one talking to eighteen or nineteen. You know, uh, coming in and you're seeing these kinds of things. Yeah, I, I I would say that when we're young, we don't always know how to ask good questions. I, I like the way that you kind of phrased it. We ask questions that we already think we know the answer for. Therefore, what are we really looking for? We're looking for affirmation. Why? Because I don't know who I am right now. And I'm trying to hold on to something. So I have a question. Oh, good. That's what I was mm-hmm. thinking. Um, that can sometimes be something that's yeah. that's there. Um, I've talked to a few other people who, quite frankly, they don't want to ask the question because they're afraid of the answer. And I mm-hmm. totally get that. Um, you know, because I'm afraid you're going to tell me that I need to break up with her because we're going too far. Um, or that, that we need to find a pause. And I, I don't really want to hear that answer, even though I know it's good. And so it's kind of the Facebook world that we li- mm. we live in, right? I'm going to go find my echo chamber and I'm just going to ask those people who think exactly yeah. like me. Yeah. And, and so, so how do you, how do you do that? I, there's a couple of things that I would suggest as a mentor. And I do think that the things like, uh, uh, the strengths finders and the, and uh, the personality, some of the personality tests that exist out there are extremely helpful. Um, I use strengths finder and I've started using Enneagram and the strengths. I, I, I actually started applying this at innovative weather with my college students. Cause what I found out was that um, uh, they could, they would behave in a certain way that would be frustrating or get them into some trouble or get, you know, the operation into some level of trouble and it would happen consistently enough, but they couldn't tell me what was going on. And so after taking the strengths finders, the strengths idea is you are, there's 32 strengths, 34 strengths, and you are your top eight. That's not going to change. Mm-hmm. That's how God wired you. And I love it because it actually <clears throat> plays perfectly into the biblical view of uh, the body of Christ and, you know, being a toe or a hand or a foot or whatever. Um, when you're using your strengths for other people, you will you will feel fulfilled and you will be at your most effective but when you're trying to control a situation or control an outcome or you're afraid you'll see these very clear basement behaviors so now i'm talking to you gus as, as somebody who's mentoring somebody younger what i found was a lot of times people in general not just young adults but young adults don't know themselves this way they can't tell me why why can't you just they can't tell me that uh, and strengths and is is one phenomenal way to be able to say, ah, I'm seeing some basement behaviors that you're exhibiting here. What are you trying to control? What are you really afraid of? What do you really want here? And invite them into exploring that with you within the way that, that God has wired them uniquely. And the Enneagram is one that's helpful from a, a relational standpoint. Uh, really, it's been very helpful for me understanding blind spots. It's a bit more complicated but once you get a, get your head into it, it's like, oh, my goodness, this is very, mm-hmm. very helpful. And what I like about it is that they tell me things about the person that that person can't tell me, but that are extremely relevant. They're contextually important for me to be able to give you advice or to understand or maybe make a bit of a be- better educated guess. Be- What's the question behind the question? that you mm-hmm. have? There you go. Yeah, you know, absolutely. I like it. Uh, so as we kind of wrap up here, as we're running out of time, unfortunately, 
the uh, uh, question we got to ask everybody, of course, is what does it mean to be a man? What makes a Christian man? Yeah, I saw that written down, and I st- I was like, okay, what's the best way to put this and not talk for fifteen minutes? <laughs> I think I'm going to come back to um, humility. Um, I think, guys, it's important for us to admit that inside all of us is a little boy, and um, as much as we don't want to talk about how names have hurt us or um, failures have hurt us, but we do not want to be made to look like we're weak or that we're a fool. And, um, <laughs> so this idea of humility, meaning just to be okay with, you know what, sometimes, uh, you might be able to go in and bench press, uh, you know, 250 pounds and do all this stuff, but sometimes, you know what, you're just a little boy. And that's not a bad thing. It's, I think, just an important part of, of who we are. It's important that, that uh, we can start there because it's in that boy space that we can say, I'm struggling to be a man because the boy, is, the boy hurts. And I think for a lot of guys, there's a lot of things that we're trying to control. Um, and we just don't want to talk about it. Uh, so what does it mean to be a man? I think it, it means humility. It means I have made poor decisions, uh, repentance, confession, and absolution. I think, guys, it's important for us to have other men who are going to be able to say to us, yeah, the porn problem that you're sharing with me, that really is a problem. We need to ask God for forgiveness because Satan's trying to use that to destroy your life. But then to be a man who can stand with a kid who's, made a boyish decision and to say in Jesus name, I forgive you. And I want to be here for you when that next temptation comes. I've got a couple guys like that in my life and I am so grateful for that. I just don't feel good about myself. Okay. Let's talk about that. Um, having a safe place where you can be able to, um, say I've, I'm, I'm thinking like, and behaving like a little boy. I'm struggling to be a man right now. And so it's that humility space that looks at your strength and it looks at your headship, you know, if you're married and says, no, this is actually about submission. Um, uh, you're not going to submit if you don't have humility. And, uh, and so our identity being rooted in Christ says, you know what? It's okay for me to say, I've kind of been acting like a boy right now. And to say, sometimes I think you guys have talked about it too with Eldridge's books, you know, <laughs> we joke around because sometimes it's just fun to be boys and being a boy is not, it doesn't have to be a sinful thing, but understand that when we're, when we're a boy, when we need to be a man, then I need to be humble enough to say, I'm sorry. I hurt you. Um, help me get better. Yeah. You're laying down some real Gordon Dalby stuff there. Is that who that is? Uh, yeah. Uh, so have you ever read uh, healing the masculine soul? No. Ah, well, he talks. That's you're like quoting sections of his book here. This is awesome. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> which, which validates it to me, like that. But uh, that idea validates it that clearly somebody else is talking about it too and values it. If if uh, if there's a bunch of great minds saying the same thing, so I love you live, it. You work you work down in Milwaukee. You know you know, you know how it is, and and um um that when when there's no men, when there's no male role model to tell a boy what it is to be a man. Uh, and when the, the the men in their life only accentuate um, being a man is basically just being a big, oversized, grown boy um, with all of the negatives that can go along with that. How are they supposed to grow up? Um, they need to be able to be loved. And that just that ability to say, I hurt, I'm afraid. It requires vulnerability and humility to be able to do it. And so God give us more men that will be a safe place for some of our young men. Love it. If young men or if boys don't learn, men won't know. Um, mm-hmm. All right. I like that. Um, uh, well, we put it on a t-shirt, so we'll send you, I'll send you a t-shirt. <laughs> we'll Please get that do. information after the show. I'll send you that t-shirt. So um, as we finish up here and close out, what's, why don't you give us your little uh, plug for Awaken Alive and then let us know how we can find you. 
Yeah. So Awaken uh, Alive, um, we exist to really create a Christian um, community uh, for young adults. Um, we are not a, a church. We're not a, a sustained ministry from the standpoint that we do something every week. We offer two Bible studies, one for uh, young ladies uh, and then for a mixed group. I lead that one. And um, then we do conferences. Uh, we were doing one conference a year and then some some uh, larger group gatherings uh, as we were able to. This year, it's been over Zoom, and we are intending to do another one over the summer uh, that churches can also utilize uh, as a way to maybe kickstart uh, gathering some young adults. And so information uh, about that ministry and some of our previous speakers and talks are at awakealive.com. Um, if you're looking for some music, um, you can check out uh, some of the work that I do there at mikewestendorf.com. And then I do tour to work with uh, churches and conferences uh, to help, uh, to help uh, you know, bring uh, unique worship or concert environments, but also speaking engagements where we can have a conversation about these these kind of issues that we're talking about today. And so those are the the easy places. My home church is St. Paul's in Muskego, and that's just stpmuskego.org. You got social media? Oh, yeah. Facebook and Instagram. Uh, Twitter bores me, so uh, <laughs> I don't spend a lot of time there. But uh, those are the two main ones that I've got. So Facebook, uh, look up Mike Westendorf Music uh, or Mike Westendorf. And then um, same for Instagram, Westen, uh Westendorf Mike, I think I am there. Awesome. Gus, where can we find you? Uh, same, uh, pretty much same. Facebook, Instagram, look me up. Gustav Lenz. I should be virtually the only one. <laughs> <laughs> not a lot of Gustavs up there. Yeah, here. not a lot. <laughs> and you can always find uh, the Greta Podcast if you're listening. Uh, well, this is all this, this one is audio. So uh, if you're listening, you can find us on Google Play, Spotify, Apple Music, Podbean, all the all the platforms. You can find us there. Uh, find us on YouTube. There's a whole bunch of YouTube content coming out now, kind of pushing that surge because young men use YouTube. Um, you can find us on Facebook as, as Gird Up. Join the Facebook community there. Um, and then uh, Instagram, Gird Up underscore B underscore A underscore man. Turns out I've been wrong about my own Instagram handle for like three years. <laughs> but it's actually Be a Man, not Like a Man. Anyway, um, and then uh, find us online. And pretty soon here we'll have a store up as well so you can buy T-shirts and stickers and all that good stuff. And the T-shirts are coming probably this weekend or early next week. So oh, there's a good super one. pumped about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Super pumped about it. Um, thanks for being on, Mike. Glad to have you. Look forward to talking to you again soon and, and seeing, seeing you do your work. Um, yeah, appreciate it, man. Thanks for being on. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. Great job, guys. Love your heart. And, uh, yeah, keep going. Appreciate it. Uh, and gentlemen, love you all. Go be the man that God created you to be. Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.